Art Seeker Stories, Episode 1. Introducing myself, Emma Hill, my artist journey, and the stories behind the stories. Welcome to the Art Seeker Stories podcast. I'm your host, Emma Hill. I invite artists to an imaginary art residency on Artseeker Island, an island of the artist's own vision as they step into their own voyage of discovery, seeking deep inside themselves, expressing their own vision of hope. Luffy, the Artseeker Stories mascot, requests for the artist to choose three other artists' artwork for company. She also has five questions to ask them and she insists on a book swap. In this very first episode, I tell you my story behind the stories. I hope to share in episodes to come. So for now, enjoy my artist journey. Welcome to Art Seeker Stories, a podcast about art and creativity. Hi, I'm your host, Emma Hill. In this podcast, I seek stories of art sharing creativity, inspiration and hope, of cultural differences and diversity, welcoming inclusivity within art. In the millennium, I explored the world real time, searching for art worldwide. 20 years on, I'm revisiting my journal, Art Culture Vulture, Travels of an Art Seeker. It's the 24 day in our world, jumping the time zones. What interested me back then was how art became a universal language, communicating cultural diversity and differences without the barriers of speech and geographical borders. I noticed and loved that countries promoted art from cultures different to their own. For example, while London promoted Japan and the USA, Thailand showcased art of diverse difference from the Naga Hills in Miramar to the Nordics beyond paradise from Sweden. Art united people sharing new, rich perspectives, focusing on identity, community and place while sharing their truth. In the wake of the worldwide pandemic COVID-19, art has never been more important, essential for expression, education and our own mental health and well-being. The Art Seeker Stories podcast will continue these art conversations, sharing your stories of art. One question you might be asking, and I'm certainly thinking, is, so why am I doing a podcast? Well, it's been a year in my head, and quite frankly, it's driving me insane. I can't do much else because it's all I'm thinking about. In some way or other, it feels like it's a format that will pull everything I have together to enable me to reach my next level of creativity. I also see it as a new adventure, as a means of seeking and sharing stories, igniting the adventure I had back in 2000 when I was exploring the world, which I can continue to do so in conversations remotely. And, well, I guess I have to start somewhere, so it might as well be here right now. I'm just warning you though, it's going to be rusty and raw, but it's the only way of getting better as where I see it is to just start and actually do it. So that's where I'm coming from. 
How am I qualified? Well, that's just it. I'm not. Except I'm lucky to have traveled and to have seen some incredible things in nature, art and culture. Well, this is just the foundation of everything I've experienced that has helped me find my own artist's way. I thought I'd start by telling you a bit about my background and of how I became an artist. I'm half English and half Norwegian and I paint at home in Surrey. I've been married for 23 years and we have two teenage daughters, who, by the way, are my hardest critics, and a couple of cats who are always up to mischief. Looking back then, I've always been interested in art and wanted to be an artist from a very young age. I wasn't very academic and I certainly wasn't sporty. Art was a way I could escape, daydream and express myself. Sadly, I didn't get into art college, which was a terrible blow for me. So I became very insecure about my art for many years later. I have a BA double honours degree in art history and Scandinavian studies. I thought if I wasn't able to paint, I might as well learn what I could about the art I was interested in. And as for the Scandinavian bit, well, I guess I was halfway there already. It was my years as cabin crew for British Airways that reignited my spark and passion for art. I sought art worldwide, and then when I left to have children, everything I experienced found its way to me, creatively painting pictures. Every year, I made it an absolute must to go and visit both the London Art Fair and the Affordable Art Fair. The year I left British Airways, I had created one painting a painting I was proud of and loved and knew this is the direction I was going to go in. So once again, I went to the Affordable Art Fair and had a look around. But this time, I bumped into a chap who said, Oh, hi, I know you. Yes, yes, you're an artist. I recognise you. And I, I didn't know what to think. I thought, who is this guy? Is he crazy? I'd only painted that one painting, although I did think it was good enough to put out to sell. At that moment, it could have gone both ways. I could have laughed it off and felt awkward and a bit weird, or I could just go with it and have a bit of fun. That was the moment I stepped into the role play of being an artist. And I liked it. It didn't matter that it was pretend. And afterwards, he told me to check out his sister's stand, which I looked after was conveniently one of the biggest placed beside the bar. A couple of weeks later, I had a few more paintings under my belt and I thought, why don't I call that chap's sister up? I've got nothing to lose, right? I was taken on as new British artist wildcard three months later at the London Art Fair. I had a five metre wall and my artwork sold out. It was the beginning of a wonderful 10 years of touring the UK art fairs and my art kept on selling. All I had to do was paint. And then my agent retired. Instead of looking for someone else to sell my art, back then I would never have considered it possible to do myself, or even an option. Instead, I went out to get a job. I was invited to a prison where a friend was working in the educational department. She asked me to come and talk about my own artwork to motivate the prisoners. I came to show how art was used as a medium of expression, as a means of encouraging self-worth, motivation and purpose. I created a collaborative art project which led me to become a teacher there. What I experienced while I was in that environment was one of utmost respect and gratitude. 
It was an extremely positive environment where art was highly valued. Their past actions no longer defined who they were because they had become talented artists in their own right. Later, I became an art instructor for Art House Unlimited, where I still am today, 10 years on, running the studio behind the High Street Shop in Godalming, or during lockdown, delivering art and inclusion sessions remotely via Zoom. Art House Unlimited is the charity celebrating the abilities of adults living with complex physical and learning difficulties who require varying levels of support. In the last 10 years, I'd say that Art House Unlimited has been my only creative constant as my own work has been on an adventure, taking me on huge highs and lows, where at times I've come close to giving up. Although I, as are a couple of the other art instructors, are there to teach and support the Art House Unlimited artists in finding their own creative voice and expression through their work, each one of them has given me so much more. In strength, individuality and determination, I've learned so much and I'm incredibly inspired. On days I've felt empty in my own artwork, creatively I've thrived in the background of Art House. I totally believe that everyone, and I mean everyone, as in you too, has a creative ability and a talent that is there and should be celebrated. And yet so often this is denied and rejected in, I can't possibly do that, or rubbished for being foolish. As I firmly believe this, I also believe that it is my job at Art House Unlimited, that it is solely up to me and the other art instructors to really find each of the artist's talents to pull and draw that energy out. Sometimes I think of myself as a visual DJ, a composer and a conductor all at the same time, particularly in creating the larger group work compositions. In collecting the artwork of the artist, the work gets layered up like a giant real life cut and paste of sketches. I so love the individual voices, alternative contrasting styles and expression, all in conversations harmony and in contrast, and then I guide the artist to put their work back together, like filling in a giant puzzle. Mostly, it's incredibly rewarding to see how each individual artist's work has value in the artwork created. This is evident on so many different levels, be it in the textural background, the unique application of mark making, to the quirky style and intricate details in design, so full of energy and soul. It's really an amazing thing for the artists who have been let down in so many other aspects of life, where at Art House they can feel supported, nourished and feel really proud of their own achievements. It's a really vibrant place to be and I really enjoy the expressive energy. But what I love most is that I learned something new from each and every one of them and I'm inspired every day. I feel incredibly proud of what the artists have achieved and the beauty and positivity that is shared through their artwork. Through lockdown, we have seen this firsthand by individual messages sent with care packages and emails. I'm honoured to be part of such a wonderful team. While I have worked at Art House, my own artwork has sometimes taken a back seat. And yet at the same time, it has taken the pressure off financially 
allowing me free reign on my own creativity when it's there and ready. At the beginning of starting Art House Unlimited, I wasn't really doing my own pictures as such. As my children were young, I did have this idea that I wanted to make a storybook. I had a character called Mimi and she had her own adventures in the land of Ichiku. The idea was that children could make up their own stories through the visual aspects of where the different elements of the picture would take them. There were definitely regions and Scandinavian folklore sort of entwined within surrealism and it was more about stretching children's imagination to start in the idea of storytelling. Not long after, I had the idea that I wanted to make a scarf collection, so I made a 20 design scarf collection in the sole purpose of pitching to the Liberty Open Call. But this somehow never happened. For some reason, there was something going on. We we were building, and I, I don't know why, but we, I just happened to miss, I think, three calls. And yet, it had taken me two years to create this scarf collection. And what was unique about them is they all had their own little story that stemmed back from the picture book that I had done not that long before. Then we ended up doing our house up and I kind of crossed a bit where I became really insecure in my painting again. It was it was like it was reaching a shift and I didn't really know where I was going. And then I couldn't paint anywhere because there wasn't anywhere to paint. A year passed and then another year passed and I still hadn't picked up my own paintbrush. But what I had been doing instead was a lot of writing. I'd done a lot of writing with my uncle on a story that he started perhaps 10 years earlier. That kept me going, although at some point I was so desperate to start, I just ached inside. I had a three-year break it all in all, and I just got to the stage where I decided I just have to go for it. So I bought a big roll of canvas and I staple gunned it to the wall and then I just bought a massive fat brush and I just wanted to dive into it and just immerse myself in this paint and this movement and this energy and to just let everything out that I've kept so deep inside for the last three years. It felt wonderful and I think that's where my art shifted as It was a new way of painting. It's like everything I'd done before had not been forgotten, but it had been put aside. And I could could look at this fresh new way of painting as a beginner, and it felt really fresh and exciting. My art practice, then, is purely intuitive. I'm guided only by feeling. I'll paint the base layer, which I quite like because it's raw and fresh, urgent and immediate. Then I start to work into it and somehow some of that beautiful raw expression that I've created in just five minutes totally disappears and gets lost underneath. Somehow the more I work into it, it becomes a little over-controlled and that's not necessarily a good thing. So if I've got the urge to try something or just take a risk, I usually just go for it. That's because by now I've learned to trust my instinct as I know that if I push myself forward, it will take me somewhere even better. Maybe not in the painting I'm creating there and then, but it definitely will be something special in what is to come. My painting then, I describe it as a conversation. It's like I get into the flow. 
everything starts falling apart. And at some point, usually when it can't get any worse, I'm lucky to find my comeback. I then hit the magic where it all feels whole and everything fits together and feels just right. From this intuitive painting then, I guess it's about exploring my memories and experiences of nature, of the sea, sky and landscape. So rather than following the traditional sense of recording by recognition, my use of colour and texture instead documents my senses. And it's the energy of my mark making that expresses my emotions and remembrance of a time and a place that creates a visual dreamscape to convey the true essence. So I like to say that I create paintings to dream into that are based on my intuition. As an artist, my aim is to share this inspiration and hope and happiness through my art for other people. While I was building up my portfolio in this new intuitive way of working, I, strangely enough, came across a new Liberty Open call where you just had to hashtag a painting. Now, the strange thing is with this is I'd worked so hard, probably by then it was six years previously, on this whole massive collection, and I never took it anywhere. So then when I saw you had to hashtag a painting, I just, I literally just hashtagged the most recent painting that I'd finished a couple of days before called Graffiti Summer. Now, the strange thing with this is it definitely wouldn't have been a painting I would have chosen. The journey of the painting gave me a real roller coaster of highs and lows, love and hate. And at the end, I wasn't sure what I thought of it. I was just really relieved that it was finished. But of course, now I've grown to love it. And I'm pleased that this painting found its way because it has its own story, rich in the layers of mistakes. And fundamentally, it was inspired by a day out taking photos of graffiti with my daughter on her 14th birthday. The Liberty Open Call experience was amazing. And after having my artist journey featured in a BBC documentary, A Moment That Changed My Life, which by the way, didn't, (laughs) it became very difficult because I couldn't get my art seen anywhere. I couldn't get it out there. Everything I applied to, I got rejected. I almost gave up. Although looking back now, I have some very fond memories and I was very lucky to have had such great experience to see behind the scenes of Liberty and learn about the fascinating history firsthand. I worked with them in their studio and got to visit their factory in Italy. It was fantastic to see. But since then, I think the most important part of my art focus towards success is knowing my purpose and being part of an artist community. There is no rhyme or reason on applications. I go through stages of being accepted into everything and then it flips and I'm rejected from it all. I enjoy the moments of acceptance, but the rejection doesn't define me. There's a bigger picture and I think it's up to us as artists to find our own ways without needing to be dependent on those who are doing the choosing. I found that I didn't need any recognition or permission from anyone and a couple of days after this realisation, I got my first acceptance in a year as a member of ArtCan, a charity that empowers artists by creating opportunities. In all of those years of fear, unable to paint, I had never thought of giving up. 
To be honest, in joining ArtCan, I felt I was saved. Luckily, I got over myself and began to paint again. At last, I got into an exhibition and I had found a way to show my art. But equally, just as importantly, I felt I belonged. I started to find my community and I connected with other like-minded artists worldwide. The week after my first exhibition, ironically called Fake News, the world locked down. Although lockdown and COVID-19 has brought with it despair, horror and uncertainty, it has given me my awakening. Creatively, lockdown became an incredibly important time for me. Although the psychological impact was great, I brushed that away with the excitement of having all the time in the world to paint. While everyone stocked up on loo paper, I prepped up and bought loads of art supplies. But the strange thing was, when lockdown actually came, I fell straight back into my cycle of fear. I just couldn't paint. Like many, I would just felt scared and helpless and couldn't see what the point was. Again, my creativity switched and I started writing, sharing stories from my 20-year-old travels and my thoughts about art as a universal language, sharing and educating, connecting communities. Still desperately wanting to paint, I decided it was sink or swim. It didn't matter what I was going to paint, I just had to get on and do something. It was a really strange time. I felt the overload of noise of images, particularly on social media, where creatives were desperately fighting to get heard. At first, I thought it would be impossible to compete. What did I have that was anything more or different from anyone else? But then I realised that wasn't the point. I then looked at the situation differently, in a way that it was like a surge. The floodgates had opened, and as the art gatekeepers and the establishment began to crumble, there became a space for everyone, and it didn't matter where you came from or what your background is. I saw it as anyone's game. All that mattered was, or is, belief and determination. What I initially felt as an overload of noise, where the survival of the fittest knocked those below out of the frame, I then saw as the opposite. A creative culture that stood united in supporting each other came into focus with the Artist Support Pledge, a wonderful art initiative set up by Matthew Burroughs, which gives artists the opportunity to support each other. The Artist Support Pledge highlighted a generous culture of artists supporting artists, so far away from the first onslaught of social media noise. Now then, I'm continuing to find my way but I stand firmly on my belief and purpose and it is lockdown and all my reading that has helped me see how everything I do creatively does actually connect which I guess is how and what this podcast is all about. That should give you a good insight into my own artwork so now it's time to step on the island itself And let's see what my vision of Art Seeker Island looks like. The vision of my Art Seeker Island then is like a tale of two halves. I really like the idea of having almost tropical on one side and the extreme opposite of the Arctic on the other. 
The actual place is influenced by places I've already been to. So on the tropical side, I see my studio on the beach. And the beach is a bit like how I see it from the Maldives, which is the beautiful clear waters, that turquoise going into the sky, and then the soft sand. And going further inland, I I like the idea of Thailand. So I was lucky in say from 96, to have quite a few trips to Thailand because my uncle had a dive school there and he also had a diving yacht which he had built and he used to take it out on expeditions and we were often going to the Similan Islands which is a national park out not far from Phuket and it was absolutely stunning. So not only on the islands which was like a tropical jungle that we used to walk through and it was the vegetation was so lush and green and of course the beautiful white beaches but also is the incredible beauty of under the water the huge fan coral the I've never seen such a lush beautiful colors before and everything later maybe 10 years or even more so seeing under the sea in the Caribbean or or even the Maldives it's there's there's nothing that even strikes a similarity. It all seems a bit white and dead. And I'm not sure if that's the consequence of El Nino or if it's global warming or what it actually is. What I experienced back in 96 is just, it's from a different world. It really is. And I'd like to have some of that where, you know, a break from painting, I could just go for a little swim and look down and see these beautiful, beautiful gardens that were like jewels. Also within there, I like going further inland then. I like the idea from Peepee Islands, there's this huge rock and I'd, I'd like to have this sort of rock face in further inland where you could go and climb up and then watch the sunset or lower down, there would be like a waterfall and a pool where you could just go for a morning and evening dip. Which takes me to the other half of my Art Seeker Island, which I'd like to take you to the Arctic. In 2019, on our last family holiday, we were lucky enough to go to Svalbard, a Norwegian archipelago in the Arctic Ocean, which has the most northern settlement closest to the North Pole. It was an incredible experience Probably the most interesting place I've ever visited. And while we went in the summer, it was also very different, as the 24-hour daylight and midnight sun took a bit of getting used to. What struck me most is that it was so barren, raw, harsh and desolate, and yet it was strikingly beautiful. All at the same time, the colours were so deep. There were no trees. It was just rock, ice, sea and sky. And yet it felt so powerful. It was like being in a vast open wilderness of almost nothing, as far as your eyes can see. We went on a trip a couple of hours away from the main town, Lungyerbien, to an old deserted coal mining town called Pyramiden. It's an eerie, deserted ghost town set within an incredibly harsh geographical landscape. There are raw industrial metals, machinery, structures that have been left behind from the coal mine and the bold buildings of town are so out of place against the postcard beautiful background of the Nordenskjöld Glacier. Pyramiden was taken over by the Soviet Union in 1936. 
aesthetics mattered and they built an impressive communist community that served as a window or an exhibition to the West, showcasing the very best of the Soviet Union, as foreigners didn't need a visa. At the top of the street, a bust of Lenin stands proud, looking over the town. I love that the building blocks got nicknames. There was London for the single men, Paris for the single women, and the crazy house for families because of the screeching kids in the corridors. But now these blocks are incredibly noisy, taken over by colonies of birds. I love that they also had a culture palace, which you walk into a large open hall and galleried landing. Downstairs was home to the games rooms and the gym, a theatre and a cinema auditorium. Upstairs was the library with some 50,000 books and art and music rooms. Where I'd like to take you next is to the lost forgotten swimming pool, derelict with walls peeling away, and yet the intricately carved wood ceiling beams and spectator seats are very much well preserved. The view beyond the windows is the glacier, and it is here that I'd like to see my paintings submerged into the pool. But empty, of course. My idea and concept for the shape of hope, then, I see as a series of paintings, which I'd call 100 Days of Hope. The paintings would be a metre by a metre, and the paintings would be displayed side by side, stacked one on top of the other. I like the idea of submerging and surrounding yourself in what will become a dialogue of colour. I think I'd like to strip my paintings bare to take out everything that is recognisable to me, like the big heavy brush strokes, the throws, the swipes and the drips. Although I think I'll still keep the dots. I like the idea that these pure gradients and blends of colour would create an energy of feeling. This could be emotional, calm or energetic, depending on how the canvases were placed side by side or your viewpoint from spectating down below in the pool looking up or above the pool looking down or the deep or the shallow end. The pictures themselves would be created in response to people I have met that have given me an impression or inspired me, a reference to a place or a moment in time essentially recording my senses of the memory in colour. The bigger vision I have of hope is really what this podcast is about, sharing stories of artists and creatives, reaching out to others to connect and unite, sharing hopes and inspiration. I like the idea that the artists who come on the Art Seeker Island residency create virtual islands of hope that are suspended joined together by a thread to its neighbouring island in a galaxy of infinite art islands. This could be created within a virtual reality experience or even as a computer game where the spectator or gamer can visit the islands which are a maze of visual ideas that take you through rooms and step levels and corridors of different experiences all weaving in and out of real visual art and culture. You too can create your own art seeker island and concept for the shape of hope that can be added to the islands created by the artist's residents. This virtual universe is as vast as your imagination or as far as the art seeker island guests can take you. 
I'd also love if there could be real exhibitions running worldwide alongside. These could take place in a familiar gallery setting, in an alternative space or in someone's kitchen or front room. These could be streamed at various times, connecting countries, people and place, ultimately sharing everyone's unique vision of hope becoming united. Furthermore, I like the idea of hope being like an anchor, in a way grounding people who have art as a means to express themselves, giving those who need it an alternative to pain and suffering through the arts by dance, music, writing, painting and creating. This can be in the experience of making it yourself or in simply enjoying the experience of what has been created. In finding a value and purpose in life, our world can only be better for it. Which takes us to go and see where Luffy is. Luffy! Luffy! I'd like to take a moment to introduce you to Luffy, the Art Seeker Stories mascot. She has been on Art Seeker Island for nearly 10 years now, and she really loves meeting the new resident artists, mostly because she's a secret artist herself and she can get a few tips, but also because she really enjoys the book swap and all the books and knowledge that the artists bring to her. The other interesting thing about Luffy is she is incredibly talented in making homemade ice cream. And also she's partial to the odd cocktail. So if you work hard, I'm sure she'll give you a treat. Hi, Luffy. Hello, Luffy. Ah, oh, as I thought, she's a little bit shy. Let's hope in the upcoming episode she might come and say hello. In the meantime, I'm sure she'll come to see you when you're hard at work. Luffy has five questions for each of the resident artists. I'm going to ask myself her first question, and that is, please can you tell us about your three chosen artists' artworks that inspire you and who you choose to have for company on Art Seeker Island? One of these has to be by a woman, another of cultural significance, and finally, a free choice. I'm going to start off with my free choice which is pretty much anything and everything created by Dan Baldwin. I've been a massive fan since his 2008 show Dead Innocent, and I've loved the development and journey his artwork has taken since. So why Dan's artwork? Well, I guess I just love the pure dialogue of harmony and emotion and the eclectic mix of style and colour contrast and his creative way of layering and, of course, his storytelling. I see his art as a story in conversations, mostly in collecting and expressing moments of time. On the surface, you can see there is conflict and contradiction of life and death, love and hate, innocent corruption, religion, war and politics. But I see so much more. To me, his work speaks of our stories as fragile moments within our cycle in life and our journey getting there by the choices we make. It's more about the fragile line and moment between life and death, love and hate, and yet you can't have one without the other. I also love his current work, a series on fragmented landscapes, and I guess they have a little bit of everything. Influence within my own artwork then, I remember in 2010 making a painting which had a bison and a human skull, hummingbirds and starfish floating in swathes of paisley 
or something similar and flowers. I wanted to make a picture that was funky and cool with drips. I showed my dad and he was, yeah, I guess that's quite good for Halloween. I was absolutely horrified. I hastily painted over and now it's just the pure pattern and hummingbirds that remain. That moment of cool never found its day. In 2014, I did find my cool, an eclectic mix of a surrealism story with a hint of Alice in Wonderland, although in my case, it was more about my imaginary stories with Mimi in the land of Ichiku. There was also a hint of the start of my chunky, abstract, free-flowing brushstrokes. And to this day, this painting is still one of my favourites. I called it Decadent Moonshine, and it became the highlight and base of my scarf collection. It's kind of like a homage to Dan's work, but it also has my past in there and also of others. There is something street art there too, in the letters echoing Ben Ean, and the skull upside down is maybe more Alexander McQueen and Damien Hurst. It also introduced my collection of jewel dotty insects that went on their way independently, as do the ants, bats, and folk art bunnies. And of course, I had to have a daisy and an iris in it because of my two daughters. I love marking my own artistic achievements by gifts to myself. On completing my scarf design collection, when I had finished, rather appropriately, I treated myself to a limited edition bug skull scarf collaboration by Hurston McQueen, which I now have framed. But how strange that that came to be at that moment of time. Nothing became of my scarves, but still I'm incredibly proud. Then, when I did get into the final at the Liberty Open call, maybe six years later, I thought maybe that it was about time for another treat to myself for for getting that far. Now I'm beginning to think this sounds really weird, although I have heard Gita Joshi and Holly Tucker do something similar. And I guess some people buy themselves birthday or maybe Christmas presents. I don't do that, but I do treat myself to books well all of the time. Anyway, back to the point. I'd seen a Dan Baldwin screen print in the window of Way Gallery some six years earlier when I'd walked past in my lunch break. I just had this feeling that I was going to go in there and buy that print because I loved it so much because it was full of hope, although it was called Hope in Hell. And being a print, I figured out there could be one lurking or hiding away. And there it was. And I've had it three years now. And I absolutely love it and it gives me so much reassurance and hope so I did become one of the Liberty Open Call winners and maybe it's thanks to that picture there is a young innocent boy whose gaze is locked out the frame who is holding a lamb in his arms the background has horror and death particularly in war but the interesting thing is with my winning painting then graffiti summer Although it took me through a whole roller coaster of highs and lows, and I really didn't know if I even liked it, what interested me later that I realized is in the abstract layers that I've got a photograph near the beginning, and I can actually see an abstract version of that little lamb that I see in Hope in Hell hidden in the abstract layers. So that seems very special to me. Another time that strains, which I feel some type of connection to Dan's work, is when I'd had a day out with my kids in London. I'd taken them to the Liberty 
door. We'd gone to Carnaby Street and then it was pouring with rain. But conveniently, Maddox Gallery is just around the corner. And outside you have the beautiful decorated flowers that were in the shape of a heart because it was coming close to Valentine's Day. We walked in and we all fell in love with this one painting. I took a photo of each of my kids, one on each side, and the painting. The painting's called Stay With Me Forever. And it's predominantly pink with a couple of birds in silhouettes and their flowers, branches. There's green, yellow, paint throws and brush journeys and drips along the canvas. Then, unbeknown to me, some maybe three months later, I talked to my sister-in-law in LA and she tells me of this wonderful new painting she's got. And I couldn't believe it. It was the same one. There it is now, hanging up beautifully in her home. In lockdown, I had this crazy idea that I would see a picture of Dan's in my mind before he'd actually painted it, and that would be the painting that I'd have. I get this sounds crazy, and but somehow I believe in it, and I still do. And weirdly, there was a time when I went for a jog around the golf course, I stopped and was taken back by this huge bird. I looked up and I was watching it for a good 10 minutes and it was just it was incredible it was powerful elegant and I don't know it looked like a golden eagle but maybe it was probably a kite or something I came home and I looked at Instagram and the first picture that came up was Dan's unnatural frequency which had an eagle as is as the focal point so it just felt crazy that I'd been outside watching this bird And now I looked on my screen and I saw it again. I like the idea of synchronicity and I really feel that connection with Dan's work, even if it does sound a bit crazy. And meanwhile, I'm waiting for just that, my painting, that somehow might be mine one day. So the paintings I'll take with me to Art Seeker Island then are Hope in Hell, Stay With Me Forever, Love, Summer Loving, Thunderclap Dawn and Cyclone. Luckily, my art seeker island is infinite. There is space for every artwork, real and imagined, and it's all waiting to be shared. Which now takes me to my second artist, an artwork by a woman. I've chosen a woman whose artwork has been incredibly important to me and I feel deeply connected to, and that is the artwork of Jessica Zub who creates abstract landscapes, raw and emotional, full of expression. She says, I look for hope and redemption by celebrating beauty in its various forms, be it in urban decay, a Hebridean storm or a butterfly's wing. I had a space of three years where I didn't pick up a paintbrush. I was being creative through my work at Art House Unlimited where I was creating complex compositions with the artist's artwork and leading them to produce large group artwork commissions. It was a strange time, like I said earlier, and halfway through I had an operation. I was almost grateful for the operation as a bit of time out and I really thought it would be my time to come back and paint. And I remember taking with me to the hospital a manuscript my uncle had written and three books, Passion, Summer and Playtime, which was self-published books by Jessica that show a collection of her paintings in the series of the same names. 
I came home and I desperately wanted to paint, but I couldn't. Maybe I couldn't or didn't, and I just wasn't ready. I'm not quite sure. Instead, I began passionately writing, pouring my heart out. I stripped the manuscript my uncle sent me bare and used it as a skeleton to create something new. A fictional book, and yet there were parts of it that were beyond belief that were based on reality. My Norwegian uncle, living in Thailand, has so many stories. But... I'm saving that for another day. Back to Jessica books. I looked at them page by page for a year. The strangest thing, I still haven't seen any of her large paintings in reality. And yet I got so much pleasure and comfort just from the small reproductions in a book. When I did finally paint, it wasn't Jessica's art that was the forefront of my mind. It was only in lockdown that I revisited her work again. I saw on her Instagram page that she was encouraging people to paint and draw, to create for joy, to make sense of the pain and uncertainty caused by COVID-19. She invited artists to hashtag a painting with joy and the winner would receive one of her paintings. I immediately hashtagged my painting I just finished a few days before together with its heart partner, Hope. For my own processing of lockdown, I thought I would make a couple of paintings and I would put myself out there and video how I made a painting, which the idea seemed okay. I feel awkward on film, but I just had to get over myself. But interestingly, where it all started so well, further down the line, it started going horribly wrong. And I remember thinking, why am I doing this? Why have I done it? And how am I going to get myself out of it? Because I had never produced such a pair of awful pictures and I I just hated them. I couldn't, if I look at the video footage now, I just, it makes me cringe. It's, it's so awkward, but you know, I had to go with it. it. Part of that story is that it just made me feel What I was trying to do then was to give hope through my paintings to inspire people to keep going. What happened then? I was in the process of documenting. I thought I wanted to make it significant for this time, i.e. of our first lockdown, of the experience of COVID, what we were feeling and my way of dealing through that. So while I was documenting my experiences, I decided on creating a giant rainbow. I was going to spread it over the two canvases, so at two meters wide. And I did this on Captain Sir Tom Moore's 100th birthday. So he's became a national treasure and a bit of an icon, really, who was an ordinary man and yet did the extraordinary, raising an outstanding 33 million for the NHS. And the rainbow became very much of a symbol in lockdown, partly because of that, but also in thanks to our NHS. And also a lot of children painted their own rainbows and put them in their windows as a message of hope. So what I hadn't realised is when I had painted this giant rainbow that I had accidentally done it the wrong way round. So what I had then was an inverted rainbow And I'm like, oh no, what have I done? This is ridiculous. Just when I thought it couldn't get any worse. This picture almost looked biblical then, like Noah's Ark, but 
It's strange because where I had done it invertedly, I wonder afterwards, maybe subconsciously it was intentional because as we all stay isolated inside, our attention became very much inward as we as individuals very much began to assess our lives. I intended to have this picture as trees. I had been to the Haywood Gallery and seen an exhibition called Among the Trees and the stories and images made a huge impression on me. Every day I was walking or jogging around our local golf club. My painting Hope does remind me of the trees, the zigzags as as conifers and with it fresh running water and the northern lights. It takes me back to being 20 living in Lillehammer in Norway. But after hashtagging my picture of joy to Jessica, I realised that I didn't capture the trees, but what I had in the picture was the pond I walked past every day, ironically called Jessica's Pond. The painting I won of hers is called Sunlit Waters, a beautiful, delicate, emotional work which is extremely precious to me. Strangely, I told Jessica that it reminded me of a tiny village on an island built on stilts called Tao, thought of as Hong Kong's Little Venice. I know that Jessica recently divides her time between Hong Kong and the UK, and she said that she has been there a few times. So I feel like there is a weaving in and out of synchronicity with Jessica's artwork too. I can't wait to meet her and see her work for real one day. So the paintings I choose then of Jessica's are her one, one to six paintings in her passion series also her playtime series one two and three my third artist choice with cultural reference then is the aboriginal art and the reason for this is because in 2000 when I went to Sydney during the time they had the Olympics out there they were really promoting all Australian contemporary but also Aboriginal arts. And there were some amazing exhibitions. And one of them, Papuna Tula, Genesis and Genius, it really, it really struck me hard, this spiritual type of painting. It was all about the dream time. Dream time, or dreaming for the Australian Aboriginal people, represents the time when the ancestral spirits progressed over the land and created life and important physical, geographic formations and sites. Aboriginal philosophy is known as the dreaming and is based on the interrelation of all people and of all things. The past of the spiritual ancestors which live on in the legends are handed down through stories of art, ceremony and songs. The dreaming, then explains the origin of the universe and workings of nature and humanity. It shapes and structures life through the regulation and understanding of family life, the relations between the sexes and the obligations to people, land and spirits. I felt really connected with this artwork and I don't know why, but when I had gone to see the Grand Canyon... I know obviously these two events aren't um, connected, but I felt this really powerful wave of emotion when I first saw it. And where I was wanting to do, well, my own version of Hockney's Grand Canyon and all these bright colours, and 
I think I was also influenced by some art by in San Francisco that they they were using wax and I really like this sort of hot red um sort of color to be using almost like slightly tribal painting but that never happened and instead I had these 24 canvases that became this huge I suppose it was like a replica of an aboriginal work it was it was my own but you can see the similarities and the top layer was done with a toothpick after that I you know, I felt so drawn to their work, what their beliefs were and what underlying lying meaning was. But I had to make it my own. And I think from that, I I found my voice through a European interpretation in bright colours. And it became a way where I could record and visualise the journeys that, that I had taken through my journeys through work, really, travelling around all the different places I went to. From then on, the dots still remain in my painting. So in the 20 years I have been painting, I've had quite a few different styles, but the dots have remained true and continue to flow through my pictures. Aboriginal art then has been a massive influence to me and it's probably where I started out and it's where it brought. It felt like it had brought me home to be able to create in a certain way and understand and truly feel within a painting. Luffy's question number two is, who would your dream collaboration be with and what would it look like? My dream project would be with Medicon Toy. It's the Japanese company who make Brick Bear and Cause Companion. I'd love to see my abstract art inside either of these iconic um, artwork. I really like the idea that I could use different elements of pattern or like whether it was the drips or the dots or play a bit with the texture and the colors whether it was dark or light which would give a meaning or reflect emotionally how how someone was feeling but I'd also like to take that one step further as I'd love to get it would be my dream to get the art seeker stories mascot Luffy made into a real toy so I'm keeping my fingers crossed for that one. And I guess another dream would be if, um, while I've had a taster of seeing my artwork created into Liberty fabric, I also love the idea of seeing, I'd love to see my artwork created as fashion statements in design. For example, with, I don't know, Chanel, Dior, or even scarves by Louis Vuitton or Alexander McQueen. So that takes me to question number three of Luffy's. What was your biggest setback that you've managed to turn around into something positive? That would definitely be not being able to get into art college. That was a huge setback and sort of the bane of my life, really. It kept me in fear from painting or creating for years. It was actually being able to travel the world with British Airways as cabin crew and really taking that time exploring, trying to find art and culture everywhere I went. It was like a real mission and adventure. That's that's how I turned it around into something positive. And it's only now, like I say, 20 years later, that I realised that's where my purpose is, continuing the conversations I had back then. So the other question, next question of Luffy's uh, number four is, if you are stuck in an artist's block, unable to create, 
how do you get back on track into the flow of creativity? So that one is very significant to me because I have had years suffering from creative block. But actually, what I've come to terms with now is I actually don't believe it exists. And the reason being, I really think it's fear that can consume you and give you the false idea that you can't do something or can't create. But if you take a step back and just play or have fun with creating... Um, And what I mean by that is take away all the pressure from the actual creating a picture, but just play with the texture or the feeling of paint or whatever substance it is that you're using to create. I really think that elements come out and speak to you. And from that, you start a conversation and you pick up bits that become the starting point to a new work of art or picture. And from that, I really think that you you're only a step away from the actual creating and if if it still becomes too much then it's the best thing it would be to almost step away and to be in nature and I think being close to nature is um it gives you time to reflect and time to contemplate from nature it there's always the answers there and what I realize now is all this searching and seeking and trying to find myself outside of me within the world from when I was exploring, all the answers are actually inside me. I have it there already. It's just I need to dig deeper inside myself. So it's either that or the answers are in my bookshelf (laughs) or out in nature. But it's just being in touch with all those different things. So that's how I see... um, how to get out of an artist block and stepping into your creativity. Yes, I really don't believe it exists anymore, although I was so consumed in it in the past. The last question of Luffy's is, if your artwork or picture can talk, what would it say? Um, Well, it would say, hello. (laughs) It would, well, I think it's part of an expression. It would be, bold, bright, and confident, say, you know, stand behind you and really believe and tell you that you need to go forward and believe in yourself, trust in your intuition, and really be the best person you can be without listening or being pulled down by other people. And I think It's also by doing that, you can inspire others and be there for others too. And hopefully express express the true soul of who you are. I decided early on that Luffy would have her own library on Artseeker Island. And I liked the idea she would have a book swap because books have played such an important part in my own life, in understanding my creativity, thoughts in myself and art alike. Back in 2000, when I was traveling, unable to paint, I was continuing to write and record my experiences, which were mainly responding to a couple of books I had read by Matthew Collings, Blimey and It Hurts, which became like a Bible at the core of my explorations. Blimey is a frank, no-nonsense spared commentary on UK art, approaching the end of the century as London rode high on the wave of the YBAs and the Saatchi decade. 
It Hurts is similar, but written a little later about the New York art scene. I became excited because coincidentally, while I was documenting my visit searching for arts, I visited New York maybe between two to four times a month. When that book was released, it felt ironic that it was written at the same time as I was visiting and I felt our stories weave in and out. I guess I wanted my diary to be in response to these two books and maybe also in part to Art Crazy Nation. But from the perspective of a 20-something-year-old girl, away from art history and the art establishment, from an outsider and from a hosty or trolley dolly at that, on the surface, I felt so far removed. I wanted art to be accessible for everyone, but I believe it's important for art to be there for everyone. The idea then is that Luffy asked the artists who come to her Art Seeker Island to bring with them a book that has inspired them and that has made an impact on their lives. So she understands and learns more about them. In return, she will swap one of her books, which will start off as six of my own books that have made an impact on me. Later, books will come and go as artists come and swap books sharing thoughts and ideas. So I'm going to start off with a review of Luffy's first six books that will mark the start of Luffy's library book swap. So my first book then is The Unbearable Lightness of Being by Milan Kundera. Now this book I read, probably the first book I sort of read out of school when I was 19, maybe 20. And that kind of is arguable whether I actually read a book at school, as I don't really remember. So it's a Czech love story set in Prague about a young woman artist who falls in love with a surgeon who is a womanizer. He is torn for his love for her and his mistress and the pain of her lover. It is full of passion, desire, pain and philosophy. In the first instant, the woman seems delicate and weak, but eventually the tables turn. Their lives are shaped by irreversible choices and unexpected events where everything occurs at once as existence seems to lose its substance as we feel it, the unbearable lightness of being. The second book is The Goldfinch by Donna Tartt, and this is my absolute favourite novel of all time. It's about a 13-year-old boy who visits the Metropolitan Museum of Modern Art in New York with his mother, who is killed in a bombing. And as you can imagine, this changes the course of his life, sending him on an odyssey of despair, guilt, reinvention and redemption. Though it is all through a thread of hope and beauty and all he has left to mark that horrendous day and of everything he was and of his mother is a stolen painting of a tiny bird chained to a perch, which is the goldfinch. The third book is Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. Now, this one's interesting because I actually had that book for a good six months sitting on my bookshelf. I was kind of put off it, I think, because it said something about living creatively. Well, I, I was living creatively anyway, because I was painting most days, particularly in lockdown. And I thought, well, I don't really need to read more because I couldn't possibly do any more. So that sort of got left aside. And it wasn't until November during the second lockdown that I thought, what is it I actually do for my well-being? Yes, I paint, but what else do I actually do for wellness? So 
then I realized that actually I used to go for a jog. I'll go for a jog in nature and it would just freshen me up and make me feel better. And it's sort of, I use it as a way of clearing my head really. And then I also realized that I used to do a lot of reading. In the past, I used to read a book a week at least. And then I was one of these annoying people that probably take about five books on holiday. This book then, Big Magic, is all about tapping into flow. And I'd never really thought of it before and I'd never heard of it. But all of a sudden, I did understand it because I so clearly experienced it. I began to realize this while being out on nature as ideas would download in my head, almost like they'd fallen from the sky. It would, al- it would almost be a way of sorting out thoughts in my head. To, it was almost like a, cle- like a cleaning of ideas or thoughts or plans of what I was going to do. Strangely enough, on my last run in June to my very first run in November, the message was exactly the same except I'd sort of dismissed it and forgotten it. It was so loud and clear, and it said to do a podcast. And thereafter, continuing to go for a jog, the message was still clear to do a podcast. But the difference between now and the six months was now it was beginning to connect, that it was format and vision was starting to form into what I started to call my running revelations, because all of a sudden everything was fitting into place. I could I could start beginning to trust in it because I had experienced this tapping into flow before. The easiest way of explaining it or my experience that I can relate to is when I was writing. So when I was writing a book with my uncle, I was able to do it. I dismissed the whole dyslexia thing and that I couldn't write because it really didn't matter because it wasn't actually me writing. It was like I was watching a film So I saw it visually and I just almost dictated everything I saw and the words just came out of me. But it wasn't, you know, I wasn't thinking or I wasn't aware of it. It just, yeah, it was just like a download, really. And then I suppose most recently, how I'm experiencing it is within my painting. So I was getting this process where I'm just lost in a painting and then things go wrong and then I keep going and then there's some turning point like I hit that magic and it's just everything feels feels right and I lose that sense of time so that that's probably the most obvious one and the next book complements this really well is The Art of Creativity by Susie Pearl which is also about tapping into flow. And I really like this as a complement to Big Magic. It's similar and yet it's different. So I'd heard about the book by listening to an interview with Susie Pearl on Gita Joshi's The Curator Salon podcast in the summer. To be honest, it was another one I bought and hadn't read and it stayed patiently waiting on that bookshelf. So as a family, we keep up with Norwegian tradition and celebrate Christmas Eve. This year was the first that we didn't really do anything due to COVID. So I was sitting there wrapping some presents and I re-listened to the same podcast episode that I'd listened to in the summer. And all of a sudden, the penny dropped. I rushed to my bookshelf and read that book through the night well into Christmas Day. It was the best gift I could have given myself. And what strikes me as the most interesting, which I learned from this book, but just hadn't seen it before, is the patterns of my own creativity. 
but also in recognizing it's not just about my painting. I noticed that where I cut myself off in some type of a block, unable to paint, my creativity is always there. It just shifts into something else. And in this case, it shifts into writing, which I dismissed and didn't believe because of the dyslexia. And this book helped me understand how everything creatively that I've done or I'm doing fits together, even when at first or for many years, they seem to contradict and oppose each other. Luffy's fifth book choice is called The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. And to be honest, I've only just read this and I really enjoyed it. So I've just slipped it in while I'm editing. It's about Nora whose life has been going from bad to worst. Then, at the stroke of midnight, on her last day on Earth, she finds herself transported to a library. There she is given the chance to undo her regrets and try out each of her other lives she might have lived. Which raises the ultimate question, with infinite choices, which is the best way to live? So I really like this, and I guess in accepting and seeing the other side of situations and making the most of what we have. And also, for obvious reasons, I loved the idea of a midnight library because where Nora could step into new parallel universes of herself and slide into other identities, I also like it as a parallel idea of using a library that holds every aspect to your life. The idea of the midnight library for other people, could be other places. So it could be an art gallery and different paintings that take you on that journey, or even a video shop where each time where you came out of one life, you came into the next through a book, through a video, or through a picture. And it seemed really fitting. And my last book is The Secret by Rhonda Briney. This book is about gratitude and the law of attraction, stating what you believe and what you desire. So it's through this law of attraction that you manifest your idea, sorry, your desires, well, and ideas. It is exactly like placing an order from a catalogue. So what is the secret? The secret is simply the law of attraction. Essentially, the law of attraction states that Whatever consumes your thoughts is what you will eventually get in life. So if you think of things you don't want in your life, you'll only get the things you don't want. I'd like to say it's a bit more than that, as you really need to believe and feel like you have already received to be open and not to question. So I guess for many, it's also about breaking down the barriers and the blocks, which are often subconscious and difficult to get to, so that you're able to allow yourself to receive. Ironically, a lot of the books I'm reading now are visited very similar types 20 years ago, just as I was traveling and searching. Back then, I didn't know what I was searching for. I just consumed as much as I could to fill that empty hole in not being able to create. I was also on a path of every single fad going, probably to escape what really mattered to me, which was creating and painting. Now, of course, everything has come to light. The secret I've found is that I trust that I have everything I need already. You just need to be open to take time to see, to notice the small things and many things that are taken for granted 
but have been there all the time. So I'm really looking forward to see what other books are brought in and I'm looking forward to share them with you. Finally, we have reached Luffy's last couple of questions and they are, who are you going to send your sharing love with heart card to? And what is your quote of hope? So firstly, I thought I'd just explain that the love heart paintings that I've been doing, they were born out of lockdown during a time of uncertainty and social unrest. The first heart I made was specifically for an exhibition in Vienna called All You Need Is Love. It was only a couple of days later that we had Blackout Tuesday dedicated to Black Lives Matter. And all of a sudden, the hearts I was painting had this whole new significance. And this is how I describe them. In the centre of each heart is a tiny heart, ourselves. The bigger whole heart is our community and society. A rainbow colour heart unites us in equality. And the message is to share love with heart. In creating these pictures, the idea of having them as cards would to be sharing that message further and sharing love through art. So I would like to send my sharing love with heart card to all of you. And the reason for this is I would really like everyone to be able to experience the joy of art, whether it is through painting through performance, through music or writing, all aspects of art. We have found out, particularly in lockdown, how essential all arts are for our well-being as a means of expression, as a means of inspiration and just finding joy. Moving on then, I'm going to share with you, Luffy and listeners, my quotes of hope. The quote I've chosen is, art is the overflow of emotion into action. And that's by Brian Rafe. And I think this is very true, as I can tell with my own work and those that I enjoy seeing, that this very much is the the case. It's a way of expressing and everything you feel is captured within a picture or artwork. And then I'm going to be a bit sneaky and I'm going to add another quote in because at the minute I've been reading quite a few books by Seth Godin and I really like this quote too. And he says, art is a personal act of courage, something one human does that creates change in another. And I really like that because I guess it's part of that communication and and sharing thoughts and ideas. And if people can get really moved by something that's been created by someone else, I think that's quite a powerful thing. And then lastly, I'm going to add another quote that I often say, or like to think of, which is, your imagination is the key in making the ordinary extraordinary. And I really believe that. Wow, you've made it this far. I can't thank you enough. In fact, I can't believe I've made it this far myself. It's been such an incredible journey and I hope you've enjoyed understanding a little bit more of what I'm trying to achieve. And I do hope that you enjoy being part of it. 
The first artist I really can't thank enough is my dear friend, Evie Antonio, who, by the way, I'm yet to meet. We've become incredible friends through lockdown and she's been with me all the way, supporting me and being someone to run ideas past, but probably mostly there to rein in my crazy ideas and actually to help me see what it is I'm trying to achieve. And the next artist I'd like to thank is our mate Gary, and that's Gary Mansfield, who who doesn't actually know he's our mate. <laughs> um, it's more because we've had such an insight and really enjoyed his journey through his podcast, The Ministry of Art, which has been an incredible influence and has really it's really given me the confidence to go out there and do my own. In particular, it was his 100th episode, which is just amazing. Please go and listen to that. I can't wait for one day for him to be on episode here too. Other artists I'd like to thank who've been with me at the beginning of this journey, as far as they've dived right in and given me faith and belief and really embraced the subject and done all they can to make their episodes great. So those artists are Jeremy Morgan, Evie Jean, KV Daug, Lucy Chapman. I'd also like to thank a few guest blog posts that I've been featured in, which have shared my story. And in doing so, essentially, it has made me commit in doing this now. And that is with Geeta Joshi on the Curator's Salon, Lawrence de Valmy's The Curious Frenchie, and on Duncan Grant's blog. And then, of course, I really can't thank all of you enough. And I look forward to next week where I introduce you to my friend, Evie Antonio. And she joins us for her artist residency on Artseeker Island. In further episodes, I look forward to welcome other artists to the Artseeker Island residency. So you've got a bit of an idea of where this is going. Thank you for joining me. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Artseeker Stories podcast. Should you like to find a little bit more information about any of the artists or artwork mentioned, be sure to check out the show notes. Episodes are released weekly on Wednesdays for a little creative pick-me-up and midweek motivation. If you would like to visually see the artwork discussed on this podcast, you can see the artist residence story in pictures on the Artseeker Stories blog on my website, emmahill.co.uk or at Artseeker Stories on Instagram on the feed and story highlights under each episode. And I also recommend tuning in to the monthly IGTV group lives with fellow Art Seeker residency artists. While you have been listening and you may have thought of someone who could benefit from an artist's story, please share on an episode. It is the Art Seeker story's aim to share art and its benefit as the universal language united in hope. If you would like to, it would also mean a lot to me if you could like, rate 
and subscribe to the Art Seeker Stories podcast. You'll then be sure not to miss a show. And if you felt that you could write a review, it would really mean the world to me. It helps me to improve the podcast, but it also assists in higher ranking, which ultimately makes it easier for others to find me. Finally, I'd like to send lots of love and a huge thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support and being with me on my artist journey. From me to you, from the Art Seeker Stories podcast, until next time, keep sharing love with heart. Goodbye.